Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 10, and this is another interview with Kern Ferguson. This time we are exploring sail fabrics. Um, I had originally approached Kern about discussing the uh, details of sail design and some of the factors that you'd consider in, uh, in buying a new sail. But as uh, Kern is exceptionally well detailed in, uh, in in a lot of his discussions about sales and sale cloths and sale fabrics and um, sale design, um, this interview extended over an hour. So um, we've opted to discuss many of the different aspects of sales and sale design over the course of several different interviews. So um, hopefully. Over the next few months, we'll be able to connect on multiple occasions where we can discuss factors uh, such as sail cloth and sail fabric, which is what we discussed on this interview. And then in the next few episodes, we can uh, have a chat about some of the factors that you would consider when actually ordering a sail. So reefing points, size of the sail, size of the jib or the Genoa, overall number and types of sails, those kinds of things. So. This is really sort of a primer on getting introduced to the to the actual cloth that's being used uh, to to make the sales and what some of their specific applications are. I think it's a pretty interesting discussion. It does get pretty technical. Uh, I mean, even where we're talking about looms and uh, the fill and the the warp of the uh, the actual threads that are being used to make the fabric. Uh, so, because those factors have an impact on how the sale is used, and then of course the kinds of fabric that are being used, uh, and the different advantages or disadvantages of each of those different kinds of materials. So, everything from carbon fiber to uh, polyester uh, types of fabric, stacron kinds of fabric. So, um, it, I think it's a pretty interesting episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed having the conversation with Kern. Um, he again, he does get quite technical, so I try to um, sort of interpret and distill what he is saying from a uh, technical sale maker's perspective into sort of a just everyday sort of layman's kind of perspective and uh, what that means in terms of the application or use of that particular kind of cloth uh, in the use as a as a sail for a sailboat. So uh, th- again, this. Because this is the West Sail story, uh, most of this is approached from uh, from sort of a West Sail point of view. But really, I think it applies to to any sail that's being applied to any sailboat. Um, so, anyway, I, I hope you enjoy it. I uh, look forward to exploring some of the other aspects of sailing uh, and sail sail material and sail design with Kern in the future episodes. Um, but in the meantime, I think this is a good primer to to really understanding. What the actual material is that uh, that you're using to to power your sails and your trips and your voyages. So, enjoy. So, I guess one more thing. I'm. Um, I guess I'll give a quick update on on where I'm at on my trip. Um, if you've been following the podcast or listening to the podcast, you know that I've been in the midst of a transatlantic. I spent uh, just over a month in the Azores. I went up. Went up the coast of the East Coast USA, up to uh, Canadian Maritimes, into Newfoundland, St. John, and then over to the Azores, and then I spent a month and a half in the Azores, and uh, just about uh, three days ago I arrived in Madeira. 
So my original plan was to head for Acarunha, Spain, and then work my way down the Portuguese mainland, and then end up in Morocco, and then and then head for um, the Grand Canaries. But uh, the wind patterns weren't very good for uh, heading north to the northeast from the Azores. Uh, the Portuguese trades were in full effect, and so I, I changed my plans to head uh, to the southeast. It was about five, almost six days, uh, light wind sailing to get from the Azores to Madeira. So I'm, I'm here now, and I spent the first day on anchor. I found a, a nice little surf spot tucked into um, the southwest coast of Porto Santo, which is, uh, so the Madeira archipelago consists of really a handful of islands. There's, there's really three main islands, and then there's actually also another subset of islands called the Savage Islands, which are about 200 kilometers to the south of the main Madeiran archipelago. But Porto Santo, um, Madeira is the largest of the of the islands in the archipelago, and then Porto Santo is just, you know, 20, 30 kilometers from, uh, from, the, main, from the main island there, but it's a lot more laid back. It's been called uh, Madeira's sandy little brother <laughs> uh, due to its nine kilometer uh, beach along its south south coast which is a little bit unique for uh, Macronesia and uh, I guess if you're not familiar with Macronesia Macronesia is uh, just the, the the term that's applied for uh, the volcanic chain of islands that are in the middle of the Atlantic that extend from Cabo Verde up to the Grand Canaries Madeira and the Azores uh, and that's, a, you know, I, I don't fully understand the, the terminology there for, you know, macro versus micronesia, but uh, that it, that's what this chain of islands are called. And uh, so I'm, I'm sort of in the, in the middle of these, these uh, chain of islands in macronesia, and, and I've been slowly working my way south. Um, I still think I'm headed for Morocco. Uh, but if I'm if I'm going to get there and then to the Grand Canaries and then to Cabo Verde by November, uh, that's that's I've got I'm basically a month and some change, so I don't have a ton of time to uh, to head to all of these places. So I'm going to have to be a little bit expedient about how I use my time and um, and that sort of thing. And then I'll be heading back across the Atlantic to uh, the Windward Islands, probably for Guadeloupe, which is a, a former French. Well, I guess it's still a, a French region. It's a French colony. Um, and my, I think my wife is going to maybe meet me there. And I'll work my way up the Caribbean and back up to the uh, west co east coast of the USA. So anyway, that's uh, where we're at. And um, let me know if you have any questions. I, I you know, would, I haven't really gotten much feedback on these podcasts. I've been putting them out. Uh, but I, I, I've gotten a, a handful of notes and I, I really enjoy getting the notes. It lets me know that people are listening to them. Um, I, I am always looking for for new interviewees I've got a handful of people I've been trying to track down and and schedule some time with uh, to to have a, a phone conversation but if you've got a West sale and you want to be part of the podcast I, I'd love to share your story uh, the the history of the boat the kinds of trips that you're interested in um, uh, trips that you've done um, work that you've done done to the boats I, I you know I, I think this is a really topic really important topic for, for me personally. I, I've, I've really enjoyed um, following other people and their adventures, and it's given me inspiration to uh, follow up and, and pursue my own adventure. And so that's really the point of this podcast is to um, be able to connect with other West Sailors that are 
that are sort of following their dreams and uh, putting in the work and the effort that's needed to, to accomplish them and then to um, inspire others to do the same, really. You know, I mean, these are, these are great boats. They're very sturdy, uh, and they can, you can bring them back from, you know, just upon, just just be, just just before the brink, really. I mean, there, there's a lot of boats out there that you know, have been neglected or haven't been used for a while, and uh, it doesn't really take that much to, to get them going again. Uh, so um, hopeful that, that this this podcast is, is an inspiration or, or a motivation for, uh, for others to do the same. Um, I had one of the, the greatest days of, of this trip was when I was able to drop that anchor on the west side of Madeira, and I threw my, my surfboard over the side of the boat, jumped in the water, paddled 150 yards over to the, uh, to the high cliff tops, and uh, there's a, sort of a little inlet that, where the swell comes in between the two different islands, and then, uh, and then it wraps around, and then it starts breaking along the, along the cliff tops there onto uh, to a little reef break, and I was able to get a surf there, and and I uh, spent about two hours in the water. It was the first time I'd surfed in more than a year, more than two years, probably. And it was probably one of the best days I've had in, in a really long time. And um, I, I think anybody that's out, that's whatever your dreams are, whether it's surfing or sailing or um, you know uh, just sort of exploring new new adventures and new new areas, um, you know I, I think uh, we'd love to be able to. I would love to be able to. Um, interview you for the podcast and uh, and get your story out there so that uh, so that we can continue to, to share uh, within our little community. So that's it. Again, this is the episode with Kern Ferguson on sale materials, sale fabrics, and uh, hopefully a um, introduction to to sale design. And we'll follow up with additional details on on other kinds of factors that are that you'll have to consider if you're ordering new sales. So. Take care and enjoy the episode. Hi, this is Kern again. Hey, Kern, it's Jake. Sorry about that. So, uh, yeah, I just cleared the SD card and uh, changed the batteries while I was at it. So I appreciate you uh, holding out for me. How, how, how big of an SD card do you use? You know, I don't even know. It came with the uh, device, so I, I haven't even bothered to, uh, to change it. But I, I think I had probably two other recordings on here, two other podcasts, so... Um, I've, and I've since published them, so I removed them without even worrying about it. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think they're, I think they're fairly, I mean, it took probably, I don't know, a minute and a half to just delete them directly off the device. So I think they're fairly sizable. Oh, well. Yeah. Cause it records, um, it records your, your audio and my audio separately. So it, it, um, records as, you know, two separate audio tracks and, um, you know, I think the last one was an hour and a half and the one before that was like an hour. And then I had a couple of shorter ones where, you know, I had sort of the intro and, and that kind of stuff that, that I recorded just sort of on my own, which is probably, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. So probably two, three hours worth of audio. So it's, it's, I think the longest one I've ever done was, um, 
It was the second podcast that I released, second, third, and fourth, actually. It was Jimmy Quast. Yeah, he's, uh, I forget what hull number now, but he's single owner, him and his wife, Cynthia. Uh, they bought the boat and then sell it down the Caribbean back in the 70s, and they moved back in, I think, the 90s, somewhere around there. And uh, oh. yeah, we <laughs> we were we sat and chatted for like three hours. I mean, good God! It was, oh, nice. Yeah, it was it was really he's a really interesting guy. He's got a lot of interesting perspectives and uh, a ton of experience. Um, I mean, he started several businesses while he was down there, and um, just and, and he's just he's got really interesting. He has he's got a his whole. So I went into his house, and his whole house is just full of Admiralty models. And huh. really intricate detail. I mean, some of them have, he said one of them had won an award from, like, uh, I forget, it was like the Annapolis Naval Academy or something like that. I mean, it was it was just incredibly detailed in large glass cases, and it, he said it took him eight years to do it. And so, you know, he's, he's just incredibly detail-oriented, and he, we had to take a pause at one point where he was trying to describe... Um, an island that he had come, he had visited, and it bothered him so much that after 15 minutes we had moved past it, and he was like, "I, I gotta, I gotta stop and go look up what freaking island this is because it's gonna bother the hell of me because he couldn't <laughs> remember the name of the island." <laughs> so, but so he's just oh. super, yeah. So we we chatted for like two or three hours, and and at some point we had to change the batteries and move some audio to the computer. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So. Wow. But hey, so um, again, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about um, about this, and this is the second second version of this round two, I guess. Um, you know, and, and like I said before, I, I'm I'm hoping this will be a little bit on the more technical side, and uh, I, I haven't really prepared any any questions. Normally, I would prepare some some questions, but we sort of scheduled this um, as I was out and about in, on the island of Madeira, and and then I got back and made dinner real quick, and then. Uh, yeah, so I haven't really assembled any questions, but I thought maybe we could just go through and, and talk about some of the more technical aspects of um, of of the sales themselves. Okay, um, all right. And uh, and you know differences between the main sale and the jib and the and the stay sale, and then you know your sort of thoughts on um, <clears throat> everything from cloth and the number of reefs and and all that kind of stuff to. Uh, even things as, like uh, like I have a tri sail. I've never actually raised the tri sail, but you know different kinds of sails that you can you can use. And I know you've done some experimentation with Dave, um, you know, with setting up drifters and stuff like that. And I'd love to hear um, both your perspective and, and sort of Dave's uh, reflection on on you know the, those different kinds of sails that you've provided for him and, and that kind of stuff. Um, All right. If that sounds good to you. Sure. Um, I was kind of thinking to myself that, that um, maybe we could break this up into a couple of pieces. Sure. And, and you've heard my spiels um, a lot. Well, I, I've um, heard them, but, you know, hopefully the yes. people that haven't, yeah. Right. Right. But so I'll kind of do the same thing that, that I, when I was talking to you. Sure, yeah. Uh, as, as to how that... Um, and then we can break it up and uh, maybe do stage two at a, at, at, a, at another time sure, or something. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. 
if um yeah if it takes more than you know <laughs> i'm sure you could talk about this all day so yeah that makes sense and and and, and i have talked about it all day and it bores <laughs> the hell out of everybody around me is, is, is it one of those things that you bring bring up at a christmas party people you find people walking away from you yeah i hear you so um well let's kind of start with the basics of a sale and let's start with the sale cloth yeah okay that makes um, sense and fortunately i've got a really extensive design uh background in sale cloth um even used to have a card on it that said engineer on it uh but i was not a formally trained engineer <laughs> they just gave me that moniker but um if I think the most important thing as we're having this discussion is to have a plaid shirt nearby. Uh, those people who are sailing probably don't have plaid shirts. <laughs> I was just thinking, I'm like, uh, I don't think I have one in my closet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you were to pull on that fabric in <clears throat> one direction with the plaid, you'll notice that it relatively does not stretch. And if you pull on it on the 90 degree to that, you will also notice that it relatively does not stretch. However, if you pull on it on the 45, it will stretch a lot. And we're going to call that the bias. Uh, so sailcloth for cruising is done in that uh, it's built in the 90 degree direction and you will most of the time when you look up at most of your sales you will notice that the uh, seams are running perpendicular to the leech which means that you have relatively no stretch going with the seams and you relatively have no stretch going perpendicular to the seams. Your mainsole is a perfect example of this uh, because that's where all the load goes is straight up your leech. In fact, it all goes within about three feet of, of the actual leech. Everything else is under 10 pounds, but the really high load stuff goes up your leech. So knowing that, it would be important to from a making sailcloth application to consider what loads are going to be used and where they're going to be used and we can change the sailcloth companies can change the yarn size going in the load direction and if um trying to figure out how to verbalize this the DuPont used to make Dacron. Now Dacron has lost its patent. DuPont lost the Dacron patent, but it's all polyester. Uh, polyester is a polyethylene with some ester bonds joined to benzene, and now you have polyester or Dacron. And wasn't the high school chemistry wonderful? <laughs> Um, didn't do real well on it, but, um, so now we've got this 
these bonds that are resisting stretch in a tenacity. Because the ester bonds the polyethylene in a way that resists stretch. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Yes, correct. Um, Now, these yarns can be different sizes. And they're not measured by diameter. They're actually measured by weight. So it's like steel. A pound of steel is half as strong as two pounds of steel for the same basic mass or or size uh, restrictions. So if, if you have a quarter-inch plate and, a, and or a half-inch plate, the half-inch plate is going to be twice as strong because it's going to be twice as heavy. So it's going to be related to weight. Okay. And that in sailcloth... That's cloth, why you call it eight-ounce or nine-ounce cloth, right? Well, uh, eventually, yes. Eventually, yes. because we're, now we're talking about individual strands, not... Whereas, yes. Whereas nine-ounce cloth would be a compilation of different size strands depending on the load direction. Wow, exactly. Wow, I, uh, that, that was really, really well spoken. So that w- element of weight that we're talking about in uh, in a yarn is called a denier. Now, this, this too is one of those things that if you bring it up at a Christmas party, <laughs> people will walk away from. But a denier is the number of grams that it weighs per 9,000 meters. I mean, good golly, that's the most boring thing I could possibly <laughs> right. I don't even know what that means, Nine th- you know, gram per 9,000 yeah, liters, right? <laughs> so if, if I have a, let's say, a 300-weight yarn, I can couple that to a, or, or a weave of 300 size yarns, and then I can induce a thousand size yarns to go up the leech. And now you can see that that leech is really being protected in its, in its, uh, in its load carrying ability by, by stepping up different yarns in different directions. Okay. Um, and, and that's, that's not just, are you talking about, because the fabric, if, if you're thinking about like how a sail is organized, you know, uh, the, the leech is, you know, one side of the sail of the triangle, but you're not changing, are you, are you saying you're changing the size of the actual threads that are along the leech? Yes. Only there, or are you changing no, them no. throughout the entire sail? They're going to be perpendicular. There's two different types of yarns. There's warp yarns. And in the textile industry, there's woof yarns. But in sail cloth making, it's act, they're called fill yarns. So in a loom, you take on the warp side, and it's just this big-ass machine, very noisy, and it shoots out. And I'm just going to grab 300 size yarns as an example. And then you shoot across on this loom the fill the fill yarns because they're filling up the spaces in the warp. 
and because they're though, they're sort of they're being woven together in a sort of a crosshatch pattern, you know, one over the other, and so you've got the warp yarn that are sort of the load bearing, and then you've got the fill yarn, which are going the opposite direction. That are just sort of tying together the warp yarn. Is that correct? Um, no. Um, on your main mainsail, and if I remember correctly, you you have a triradial Yankee, correct? No, I I have one of your Yankees. It's Mains. like a ninety-five percent, but um, but I, I do I, the one the main I just bought from you is no, it's 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 a cross, oh. it's a cross, it's a right. A okay, yeah. So cut. so it it's I think a main hold is very wise just to keep it simple and uh and do that as a cross cut main, and so the fill yarns. That are running perpendicular to the seams, and also the warp yarns. Those are the ones where where you can increase the size of those yarns, the weight of those yarns considerably, to take those extra leech loads. The so so the ones that are running vertically basically are the ones that are increased in size, and the ones that are running horizontally would be smaller in diameter or some smaller in weight really correct okay right yep and so um, so the ones running vertically would be the what is it the the warp not the warp the uh, fill fill yarns the, the ones that are running horizontally would be the fill yarns wouldn't they no no, no. the 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 ones with the seams are going to be warp yarns and the ones running up the leech are the fill yarns. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, I guess I'm, uh, hang on, I, I guess oh. I'm confused because I thought you were saying the, the warp yarns are the ones with the higher load-bearing strength and the fill Wh yarns are just sort of taking up the space. No, the, the warp yarns are, are, um, they are kind of almost adjustable because they can be Increased or reduced in size in a thousand yards uh, at any time to accommodate a particular fabric. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm 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 trying to figure out how to um, say this. If we if you take a drum, maybe of which is actually what these things start out as, and they've got a whole bunch of like a drum, a drum of yarn or a drum of thread, right? Right. Okay. And and you might have a hundred, and I'm just using round numbers, but they're but they're fairly accurate in uh, in reality. You're going to have a, a hundred yarns per inch of warp yarns, and you might have a hundred yard. A uh, hundred yarns per inch of fill yarns. Now that is in comparison to bedroom sheets, where you say, "Oh, I have thousand thousand uh, thread sheets." It's uh, uh, that's a very different count. A hundred times a hundred in my head is 10,000 yarns per square inch. 
these yarns are packed very tightly as as they're as they're being woven. So, uh, pardon me, I, I I really got distracted there. Let let me go back to the manufacturing of of fabric and the design of it. If we're looking at a mainsail, what we need is largest size yarns, highest density of large size yarns going up the leech from the clue to the head. And the rest of the yarns don't really need to have any strength to them. The only thing they need is sunlight resistance because they're not carrying any load. They're just out there holding the, the, the uh, fill yarns in place. So where, the, oh, sorry, good. Well, so, so the, um, so the, most of the load is along the leech, whereas the rest of the sail really just helps to guide the wind along the shape of the sail without yes. carrying a lot of load. Is that right? Right. Okay. Yeah. You can, you, you can tell this, you know, when you're out sailing and it's, you know, the, your perfect 15 knot day and go on the back side of the sail in different locations and see how much pressure it takes to deflect that particular portion of the sail. And up in the front three feet of the sail, it takes nothing. Or the front half of the sail, it takes no pressure at all to, to deflect it. As you get further back is where that pressure starts to increase. You know, so just kind of taking a, a, a finger and poking it in a peach or something to see how soft it is. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, or and so or you, my belly button or something. <laughs> so so um, it, ultimately what you're saying is, you know, what we've been talking about for the last, what is it, uh, 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes, We, we what you're trying to say is, like, the based on the organization of the threads, what you really want is the highest weight thread to be along the leech because that takes the most load and then the fill yarn which no no the the warp yarn which goes horizontally or which is throughout the rest of the sail doesn't need to be nearly as high weight bearing is that correct yes exactly it, it's uh on a boat let's well a west sail 32 you can very if if the West Sail 32 were a very high load race boat, you would only have a 220 size yarn going in the warp direction, and you'd have an 880 size yarn going up the leech. I mean, a very dramatic variation uh, of of yarn sizes to kind of point that out on but, on your so on your 30. But oh, but again, you're saying that's just along the leech. That's not along. That's not vertically along. Like if I went anywhere along the foot, I wouldn't necessarily get the. What was it? Eight eighty. I'm not going to get the eight eighty anywhere along the foot. It's only going to be along the leech. Is that correct? It it will be there. It just won't be loaded up. Ah, I see. Okay, because okay. that's the way the that's because of the way the the fabric is made. So you're going to have the eight eighty vertically and the two twenty horizontally. Right. Okay. Makes sense. Right. And, um, however, on 
a Wesail 32, sunlight is a bigger enemy than loads. And you also have a your aspect ratio, your boom length to the left length is lower than a real high performance boat. And you don't have an army of trained gorillas trying to winch things in as tight as you possibly can. I don't know. You haven't seen me. I'm kind of a gorilla. Yeah, okay. Well, but... (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, A little chimp-like activity. (laughs) So... um, No, I I hear what you're saying. So, um, but I I guess... Well, I understand at least the 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 chimp aspect but as far as the um i guess that's so that's is that the next component you want to talk about is the aspect ratio is the the foot length to the head to the left length yes so if you had a really high performance old ior boat your boom might be 10 feet long and your mass might be 50 feet tall uh, so that's going to generate some really big loads up the leech. Mm. Uh, your boat is 15 feet by 15, across. By 50 feet by five. 15 feet. It, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, um, it's like the, the left of your sail is, yeah. is, is just under 40. Yeah. And to keep it in round numbers, it's 37.5. Yeah. And the foot is 15.5. But, I mean, just sort of in round numbers, right. we have a 3 to 1 aspect ratio okay. instead of a four to one or a five to one. Okay. So the leech loads aren't as extreme. So now we can take. So as, as the, as the aspect ratio goes down, meaning the length of the mass comparative to the length of the boom, as that decreases, right. Then the, 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 uh, load on the leech goes down. So if, if you had a, say a, a right. perfect, what's that called? An ISO, uh, uh, isosceles. I, if you had a perfect isosceles, that that would be sort of like minimal in terms of leech load. Whereas, yes. so we have a three to one with thirty-seven and a half to fifteen and a half. I think mine is actually fourteen and a half. Um, right. Okay. Right. So that's that's dramatically lower than what you would have on a race boat. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. Now, this is going to take some. In both those fabrics I just talked about are would be in the eight ounce category. So what we're going to do for a, for a cruising boat, sunlight is its biggest enemy. I'm Racers sorry, what, tend to. I'm sorry. What two fabrics are we talking about? Like a well, like a high aspect versus a low the, aspect. That ratio. high aspect one I said was a two twenty by an eight. And I'll, I'll just use round numbers. Two hundred size in the wart. And 800 size going up the leech. Okay. Uh, packed as tight as we can possibly get everything. And that would be for a race boat? For a, ra- for a high aspect race boat. Okay. Correct. But we're more, a, we're, we are worried more about UV, so we want to increase the diameter of the, uh, of the warp compared because we're not as worried about the load on the leech. Yes. When. Sailcloth is woven. The interest of the fabric fabric manufacturer to the specs of the end user is as low a stretch in the leech area as possible. So during the weaving process, 
what they will do is they will put a lot of tension on the fill yarns and lower tension on the warp yarn. So they are actually going up and down over the fill yarns. Did that make sense? So, so if you were to look at it in view, it'd be a series of U's going or a, um, an oscillation uh, on an oscilloscope. It would look like an oscill the warp yarns look like an oscilloscope pattern going across, wrapping themselves around each fill yarn. Yeah, because the fill yarn is okay. So the fill yarn is held sort of straight, and then the warp yarn is being warped correct on either side of the uh, fill yarn yes okay and so by doing that it's the warp yarns that are exposed to the sunlight not the fill yarns so we using the same basically an eight ounce fabric in round numbers we can take a 600 size yarn, not an eight, but a 600, you know, on that high as the high performance racer, we're not going to use an 800. We're going to use a 600 and we're going to take that extra hundred denier worth and put it into the warp to improve the sunlight resistance. Okay. So, so with the fill yarn, we're worried about, um, the, the strength of the yarn itself and the warp right. yarn, we're worried about the UV damage because that's that that that's, has the most exposure to the sun. Very clearly said, yes. Okay. Yep. And uh, so you can see that when a sailmaker is designing a sail, what they're asking of a fabric going up the leach is the number of denier per inch. You know, if you if you have a hundred yards of eight hundred, or a hundred yards of six hundred, uh, you 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 can see what uh, how many denier you're going to have very clearly, and that and, and that will be projected in the leach strength. So n now we're really going to throw a wrench into things. Let's take a look at sailcloth for a jib. And now I'm going to assume that this conversation is centered around West Sales. Pretty much. Yeah, um, we don't have a. <laughs> the way, it's a West Sales story, so it's a. Okay. To my, to my volume. Um, yeah, it's so it's West Sales story podcast that is not a huge audience, and I think almost all of right. them are West Sailors. Um, okay. You know, I, maybe down the road it somebody wants to listen to i think this you know this is really interesting in terms of uh anybody that wants to buy a sale um but uh yeah i think i think most this most of people who are listening are going to be uh, interested in it from a west sale perspective correct right okay so now let's take a look at a head sole and sheet it in and what we're going to notice we, we can look right up the sheet uh through the clue, straight up to the luff. And it's going to intersect in, in round numbers at about halfway up the luff. However, 
the typical cross-cut sail that we have on the mainsail has its seams running again perpendicular to the leech. But yet that load line for the sheeting is going straight through the bias of the sail, which means you got incredible distortion going on. And those sailors that knew me 40 years ago when I when, when we came up with the K-Rune drifter, that basically made all that thinking obsolete. Um, and you'll notice a lot of hot rod race boats have their panels radiating out of all three corners to get around that bias distortion that that would uh, make the, the sail distort as a wind build. And so now the fabric that we just got through talking about is obsolete. What we really want is a fabric where the yarns are strong in the warp so they can radiate out of the corners and absorb that extra load. Okay, so what you're saying is because of the way the sail is used, on not just on a main, but say on a jib, th that the warp starts to play more of an, imp uh, an important factor in the strength bearing capacity. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Yes, correct. Uh, a lot of this will be determined somewhat by the head angle. Uh, West sails really don't have a broad head angle in their jibs. But when you look at maybe a, a Reacher or a Genoa, now the head angles start getting broader. And uh, uh, But it's the clue angle that's really the important part that absorbs the load, whether it gets absorbed through bias or through primary yarn direction in the fabric and we've been building almost all of our Yankees in a tri-radial manner over the last 10-15 years uh, to absorb those loads and to keep the shape locked in to the way that sails originally designed. So when I was talking to you about, uh, about my main um, we talked about sort of cost-benefit analysis of the mainsail not really sort of working out except in maybe a performance type situation for the mainsail but you're saying on the jib because of the loads on the clue that there's going to be a higher load bearing capacity on the warp which means that tri-radial is going to be more important yes it it's it's uh, marginally, it's like $300 to build a sail uh, in a tri-radial manner for the, for the 32. For, for the um, jib, not for the main. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Because we talked about the, for, the, for the main, and the main was substantially right. more, and right? Another, another grand, e easily. And... Um, I'd, I'd rather see people have an extra margarita in port. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, 
So let's see. We're we're I forgot where I was going with that. Well, so we're just uh, talking about the um, the the benefit of having a larger warp on yes. the jib, right? And yeah, that and changing it, it, for a larger size. If you're talking about a Genoa, a Genoa, uh, you know, like 135 percent or 150 percent Genoa, maybe less important to have a larger warp than for. Uh, say a 95% Yankee, which is what you recommend for most ocean-going boats, which we haven't really dived into yet. But uh, right. is, is that, I mean, in terms of how you would yes. use a tri-radial, uh, you would recommend a, a, a tri-radial for a smaller size jib? Yes. The the broader the clue angle, the more important that would be. Okay. And, there, and there is a wonderful fabric that has been around forever, uh, Every Hobie cat, if anybody remembers Hobie cats, you know, those bright colored catamarans out there, um, the same fabric that those sails were made out of back then, um, it was built with a huge, a very large number of warp yarns in it of a 250 size. And sorry, that's too, too technical without a whole lot of fill yarns in there which automatically if you take 135 yarns of a 200 size and you uh uh forgot where i was going with that um if i take 200 yarns of a small size and compare that to just 100 of that same small size yarn obviously the denier per inch is going to be twice as much it's going to be very strong well, this five and a half ounce fabric that's been around forever, time and time tested, uh, really good fabric, has a ridiculous number of warp yarns in it. So it works perfectly for the West Sail 32. So now a sail that used to had to be made out of seven and a half ounce fabric to hold up, now we can do it with a five and a half ounce fabric and it works better in all conditions so and that's, um, and that's particular to the um to the to the jib so you're talking correct. about the 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 hobie cat sort of innovated uh, a, a different size warp that allowed for an overall smaller weight sailcloth because the fill yarns were in the vertical direction smaller because they were sort of less important because of the cross loads that were impacting the, the warp. Well, the, it, this particular fabric is a balanced fabric. So it has the same size yarns okay. going in, in both directions. So what so, makes this fabric five ounce versus seven ounce? What makes that better than the seven ounce? The, the, the fill is insignificant in it. So we're not, we're not, we're really not, so pumping this, a lot of thought into the fill yarns it's, it's we're just thinking about the warp yarns and at this point the fill yarns are just holding the warp yarns together together where on the mainsail it was the warp yarns holding the fill yarns together okay so this it, with the seven ounce cloth the fill yarn was larger which really didn't right. matter so you reduced the size of the fill yarn to achieve a smaller weight cloth because the and the warp yarn basically stayed the same to become a 
what what did you call it a, a balanced cloth correct right yeah okay. yeah so so we reduced the size of the fill yarns and we rotated the fabric 90 degrees in the construction okay cool all right so so that's everything i know about sail making <laughs> or or, or uh, but, i know that's but, not true you talk my ear off about uh uh, dimensions and uh, upwind. Yeah, yeah. We haven't even talked about upwind. And every no. every other conversation I've talked to you about, you've given me the uh, 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 sailmakers can only talk and talk about upwind. Uh, upwind, <laughs> yes. Well, I'm, I'm in, as I'm looking at sailcloth, I'm just trying to keep you in stitches. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so we've talked a lot about sailcloth, so but we've only talked about yeah. polyester dacron. Um, is it right. worthwhile to? I, I don't know that there's very many people in the West Cell community that are sort of, I know there's some people that race, but is it worth maybe just touching on other types of cell cloth real quick? Well, yeah, yeah. Let, um, when we we're talking about bias loading, uh, one of the things that came out, EGADS, um, uh, about 40 years ago was, was Mylar sail cloth. And that completely alleviated bias stretch. There was still a taffeta or a woven fabric glued to the top of it. But then we kind of realized that, that uh, a, well, a, a mill of mylar breaks down at 30 pounds per two-inch wide strip. Uh, more boring stuff at that cocktail party. Um, so you can you can design your fa your sailcloth very easily by saying, well, if that breaks down at thirty, I need more strength here or, or there. I'll just add more mylar, and if I put two mils of mylar there, now I have sixty pounds per two inch wide strip, and there, everything started to become very predictable. It, the, the weavers weren't. Uh, as important anymore. It was basically the gluers, the people that could glue the stuff together and, and laminate it together. So, so mylar is. Uh, can you just tell me what mylar is exactly? Oh, so cause, yeah, because dacron is a woven polyester, right? It's threads yes. well, that are woven together, but mylar is something different, right? Uh, well, believe it or not, mylar is just a sheet form of it's a sheet of plastic. It's a sheet of polyester polyester okay so it's yeah similar product but all right yes and it has almost the same stretch resistance as the same thickness of aluminum just just for interesting okay just for when you're wrapping up half of a dead fish you, you'll know there's <laughs> um let's see where else was i going with this um well, we're so describing the different oh, kinds of we're describing oh, mylar and i was asking about right. um so, what, so it, what is mylar exactly so it's it's a polyester sheet that's that they're taking and gluing together yes they're they're glued together and and do they um, come in specific thicknesses and why, why do they have to glue them together why can't they just like make a thickness that's right for you well you, you you have to form the form the sheet, and you have to form the sail. The sail, and we'll we'll get into this at a later uh, time. But you have to make a an airplane wing out of out of your sail, 
And okay, so they can't just they have to glue it together because it it's curved. It, it's not just right. a flat sheet. Okay, right. So all those pieces that go into it, whether it's mylar or a woven sail, had to be shaped with with curves. But what's happening now in sail making is you can take a sheet of mylar and if you know what the load carrying ability in any one direction is, you can take a material, whether it's polyester, Kevlar, carbon fiber, Kuban fiber, Dyneema, all those really cool high-tech names that are insanely strong, and you can just glue it in that location uh, and have it go from the uh, clue to the head. Now, perhaps, and there definitely is, less load going along the foot. So you can put that particular strength of fiber along the foot, and if you're going through the bias, you can put a different uh, strength of fiber going in the other direction. So you might have, as, as, as you look at the different race boats, you're going to see some really big concentrations radiating out of corners of, of yarns, and they dissipate out into the sail. Well, and that's not, that's not uncommon for, I mean, even the sail I bought from you, which is, you know, standard sort of crosscut. Um, yeah, well, well, that would be a radial, ta- uh, radial patch, but these would be fibers. Right, so we're now we're talking about a radial patch versus a, the actual fiber going in the direction Correct. to dissipate the load. Okay. Right, so it might, it might be a one-inch wide strip of, of carbon that they run from, you know, along a curve, you know, and you can look, look at the sailing magazines or, or whatever and... And all of a sudden, you recognize that and go, "Oh, that's what they're doing." It's, it's a when you look at a sail, it's a great, or when you look at a mylar sail, it's a great load map of of where all the loads are going. Okay, so they've it, they, because they've they sort of diagnosed where all the loads are and they've patched sure. where yep. where the highest loads are, so you can just see that in terms of where the most uh, amount of fabric or, or material is. Correct. Correct. Cool. All right. But in terms of, so, sorry. Oh, yeah, um, oh so, 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 so my, my modern sail making is very different than cruising uh, sail making. Well, mo- modern racing sailing, right? Sails. And and yep. I'm sure at a later date, we'll m- maybe today. I don't know. Um, uh, is it? worth exploring sort of uh we've started to touch on the different kinds of materials is it worth exploring the um sort of cost benefit ratio of of those kinds of materials yeah well let's kind of hit on that uh very quickly right now um if if you take if, if you have a dollar bill in your wallet that's been in service for a very long time and it's all soft and squishy. And lay that on top of a brand new dollar bill. You will notice about a 32nd of an inch all the way around the uh, uh, the new dollar bill. Because the other one has shrunk up. 
So if you take this mylar uh, as the substrate to this matrix of yarns and you crinkle it up, it's going to shrink. Now, when we are all sailing, especially upwind, we're barely luffing the luff of the jib, but we're really luffing the mainsail for the first third of it, especially if we have a staysail. And if you're not, you're going upwind wrong. Uh, otherwise, use a motor. Um, but because that is so soft and shrinking or, or and moving, what's happening is you're getting that shrinkage in the luff of the sail. And they found this with, uh, or they started to learn this with the America's Cup because they could only use a jib for one race. And at that time, those sales were $40,000. But they could only use it for one race, and that was referred to as the paper dollar effect of shrinkage with a Mylar sale. Is, is this specific to all sales or just Mylar sales? I mean, Mylar it, so it, it, this it, doesn't it, apply to Dacron. No, what okay. what actually happens on a Dacron is it sale, stretches. It, is it will stretch. Okay, all right. That I was a little confused there for a second because I I was um I, I'm not used to the concept of of Dacron shrinking. So that that makes sense. Okay, so the 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 mylar shrinks, whereas the Dacron would stretch with the load. Right. Okay. Right. Um. Let's see. What else? Um. Yeah, so I don't see there is something called a cruising laminate, which still uses mylar, and then they then they glue a taffet on both sides of it. Uh, it's reasonably abrasion resistant. It's reasonably shrink resistant. It's pretty darn pricey. It's going to triple the cost of a sale, uh, the finished product, and. The UV just isn't there, and it likes mold. The adhesives that laminate the the fabric, the taffeta to the glue, loves mold, and your sail turns dark. Uh, okay, so uh, you've touched on a lot there. So can, can we just? Um, I think there's there's two different components that are worth exploring. One is different okay. kinds of fabric. And to the different factors that we're using to assess those fabrics. So, you know, we've talked about primarily mylar and Dacron, and then we've alluded to like carbon and Kevlar and those kinds of things. And and then there's the factors such as UV resistance, stretch, and of course dollar value, uh, the the dollar the actual cost of the sale. Um, right. So, in what what's I guess the, my question is. What are some of the ranges of uh, the types of cloth that you can put in your sail, and what would be the appropriate application of them um, based on some of those factors? Oh, um, well, you can get some very fancy high-tech fabrics um, that are would cost the sailmaker a hundred and fifty dollars per yard uh 
So that's pretty pricey. Or when we're talking about what the main cell is 350 square yards, is that right? Well, a, a, a main cell for the West Sale 32 is is about 300 square feet. Oh, square feet. Okay. And and so you're probably looking at at with all the pat reinforcements, you're looking at 50 uh, about 50 yards to put that sail together. Okay. And you can also on the on the cheap end, if you're just trying to build the cheapest sail possible, you can also buy a Dacron fabric at uh, $10 a yard. But if you want a, a good sale, you're going to bump that up about 50%. Mine was Dacron, wasn't it? Yes, correct. Yeah, your yours was you, your sale was enough. We kind of talked about this as an upgraded fabric where you can um a sailmaker can purchase fabric and let's say it's going to be an eight ounce fabric. It will have very large yarns going in both directions, which works very well for the OEM market, uh, original equipment manufacturing, uh, because it's so durable. But what happens with those very large yarns that bias becomes the technical term is linky like a chain link fence you know so if you put your fingers together and just kind of kind of weave them back and forth you'll notice that it kind of sloshes around and and you can see the bias forming uh, or, or distorting but if you tighten up use smaller size yarns i know you can't install smaller fingers but if you can tighten those up and get those spaces smaller, but more yarns involved, now you've got a tighter bias, and the sail becomes uh, a long, more longevity-based sail as far as sail shape goes. Okay, so originally we we started this conversation talking about the importance of the weight of the warp and the fill yarn, but now you're saying right. that also that even by reducing the size of either the warp or the fill, based on based on where the load direction is, you yes. if you if you keep the weight overall weight of the cloth per square inch or square square foot, if you keep that fairly sizable, that's but increase the number of thread count, then that's preferable because there'll be less space between each of the threads yes correct so if you build a fabric that's 50 yarns by 50 yarns per inch using larger size yarns that will actually have three times as much bias stretch as if you could build it out of 100 by 100 okay and you still want to end up with about an eight ounce in the West Sale 32 category, you still want it to end up at about eight, eight ounces. Okay, so even an eight ounce cloth it, with a, a, a higher quality fabric is going to have higher thread count, but the, same, but the same weight. Yes. Okay. Correct. Um, and that's one of those things that, that kind of separates um, 
sale or, or used to separate sailmakers. I knew a sailmaker that just bought the crappiest fabric he could just, just to increase his profit margins instead of what fabric was best for uh, for the for the application. That makes sense. So um, it, it seems like we're still mostly talking about polyester is yes because that that's sort of the the go-to and is the most economical for most sailors um it and i'm sort of working off of this assumption and i I, i'm a little bit apologetic for any listeners that maybe don't aren't working off of that assumption um but maybe we can clarify that by saying why why is polyester in your view sort of the most economical for oh, average right. sailors uh-huh yeah uh good um i think a lot of it has to do with how much you're planning on spending uh on your boat within a particular length of time you a person could easily put a higher performance sail on their boat and it might go away by through abuse or sunlight in three to five years or a polyester or a dacron sail could easily last 10 15 years you know with with a great deal of use so um with some of the other f- materials you're talking about mylar and carbon and those kinds of things right and and so they just have a shorter longevity compared to polyester right yes and that's based on a combination of uv stretch and those kinds of factors and and delamination, delamination. there is no delamination Mold. in a woven sail uh etc etc okay you know if if you're if a person is maybe experimenting with something, um, sometimes they can pick up a used plastic plastic sail and cut it up into whatever configuration they're thinking of and experiment with it uh, to come up with with some good thoughts um, or improve some speed. But when they're really looking at sailing long distances, uh, it's hard to beat Dacron. I, I just have not found a, a better solution to it. So what makes um, – so polyester seems, is, seems to be, have the longevity side of things um, yes. as in terms of cost factor. Uh, th- right. I think they're also more generally less expensive. Uh, yes. What what makes mylar and carbon and Kevlar? What makes them such uh, a high performance material in the racing side of things? And I don't I don't know that many people have a ton of interest in this. I, I do follow some some races, so I have sure. some some interest. Um, I'm just curious, like w- what makes them so much more beneficial compared to say polyester. From from an engineering standpoint, the fabric uh, strength to weight ratio is could be ten times what the, the same weight would be of a woven dacron sail. Uh, now, when you put the whole sail together, 
you still need reinforcements, you still need battens, you still need batten pockets. So that does get a little closer, but not, uh, you're usually looking about the weight of a plastic sail being half to maybe a third of a Dacron sail. Well, Dac Dacron is still plastic. Yes, yes. It, well, yeah, I'm, when, when I say plastic sail, I'm referring to a Mylar uh, type laminate. Okay, but uh, so in term, term, the the primary benefic beneficiary, <laughs> I'm thinking of like insurance now. Um, the <laughs> the primary benefit of uh, of say a, a Kevlar or a carbon is is mostly weight savings. Correct. Is, is correct. What about stretch? Is stretch a factor in there? E e oh well, of of course, but you can you can certainly control that. Um, you know, when, when you look at a sail going up on a mast, it becomes anti-ballast when it, when it, when it mm, goes yep, up. Right. So. And that, that's a whole conversation. That's a whole other conversation. I'd love to be able to talk to a, a, a true rigger. Like, um, you know, I've listened to some podcasts and, and interviews with Brian Toss and he talks about the, the benefits of having like a, uh, uh, the the ducks like a Coligo ducks Dyneema rigging. Um, it's uh -huh, it's right. not it's it's not just you know uh, that you're gonna save um, you know uh, you know maybe a hundred pounds in terms of having the the steel, but it's the fact that it's up top because you're having a pendulum effect higher right. and, and it's counteracting the the ballast. And so you're saying having a lighter weight sail is going to have the same effect because you have less weight aloft. Correct. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and 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 you can really really uh, narrow down what loads you need with a laminate mylar type sail. You can you can really know exactly how many denier per inch, where with a dacron. Uh, cruising sail you're looking at that sail over a much wider range of conditions and and brutality okay um, so with like a racing sail you can you can really focus on the head or the reefing points or something like that whereas with a dacron sail you're, especially given the longevity that they're the service life of that sail you can expect to have it you know impacted sort of more more holistically across the entire sail Yes, and most racing sails are disposed of every season. And to put this in perspective cost-wise, I mean, in order to save that, to gain that performance, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, there's a um, uh, large sailmaker that does very well in the Melgus 24 group. They sell a mainsail for twenty four thousand dollars for a twenty four foot boat. Ah, oh, it's pocket change. Yeah, and <laughs> it, and they cycle them every year, and that's not including the jibs and the spinnakers that they that they do the same thing with. Yeah, um, where my, myself, uh, being the president of the CBC. That's the uh, Cheap Bastards Club. <laughs> um, I was like, uh, Chesapeake Bay something? Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. 
I I hear wheels turning. Uh, no, that's a cheap bastards club for sure. <laughs> and um, you know, if if I buy a sail today for my cruising boat, I want that same sail to be trustworthy in ten years. Right, and then and then in ten years, when you get a new sail, that other sail, the the old sail, now becomes your spare. Right. Right. Um. So let's see, where else was I going to go? So how was that for everything I knew about sailcloth? Oh, man. <laughs> all right, so uh, to sum it all up, uh, Dacron's cheap, has high UV resistance, stretches a little bit, but lasts a long time. Uh, higher performance sails will save you weight aloft, which means you don't have to reef as often or as early. Uh, they have less stretch, so you're going to be less impacted by, um, you know, uh, it, it, the, the shape of the sail is going gonna, is gonna to have less deformation, so you're going to have the most uh, uh, aer aerodynamic sail possible to have the most windward performance possible, but is also not as not not it doesn't have the same service life as a Dacron sail so it's going to you're going to have to replace it every you know couple of years maybe not every year like the racers but every 3 to 5 years or something like that versus a Dacron sail where you're going to have have it for 10 to 15 years correct correct and um going back to just to sum up the um the the warp and the fill conversation um there's been a lot of advances in terms of uh, the design of the, the, the orientation of the sailcloth and um, it, I, I guess just to sort of round out that conversation are, do you have any thoughts on particular weights for um, for sorry I dropped my microphone um, do you have any thoughts on particular weights for a mainsail or a jib yeah um, the an eight ounce mainsail with the appropriate yarns being used in it uh, has been tried and true and works really well through a very abusive amount of conditions and, and lasts forever. Um, Staysail, um, there are a million staysails out there that when Rick Taylor or Odyssey sails were being made. Uh, that were six and a half, and they're still working okay as long as they don't get too much sunlight. Uh, but I would probably step that up a little bit. A lot of time, people like to think of their staysails as storm sails. So you could go to a, a seven ounce or or an eight ounce staysail, and and it'll last a lifetime. Uh, uh, there's only 150 square feet in a staysail. And so the loads just don't get generated. It's just going to be sunlight abuse. Um, as for headsails, we kind of touched on standard 300 square foot Yankee, a 350 square foot Yankee. I'm using a lot of five and a half ounce in a tri radial. Uh, I would also, in a cross cut, I'd go with a six and a half or a 7-ounce fabric, uh, just for the abusability. But they're all going to have the same sunlight effect of the uh, 
five and a half ounce, if only if it's done in a triradial manner. Yeah, I think the uh, triradial versus crosscut deserves probably its own conversation. I, I think mostly we've talked about the the design of the sailcloth and the different kinds of materials. Um, right. But I think that's that's a that's another another episode when we start talking about maybe actually designing yeah. a sail. One of one of the the problems with sails, cruising sails being made today, versus people who have. 30, 40 year old boats. Um, the 30, 40, 30, 40 year old boats, they go, wow, these sails are really soft. Well, the sails were, the sailcloth was made completely different. They didn't put any sizing in it. Now you can't find that fabric anymore. And, and the sailcloth manufacturers impregnate it with an epoxy, which gives it that crispiness to reduce the bias stretch. So, yeah. well, so I think that, that's that's a whole new that's a whole new topic. So, um, all right. What, what do you what do you mean? First of all, what do you mean by the the softness of the sail? And I, I understand that they impregnate it nowadays with the uh, with the epoxy. And but I think we should dive into that a little bit more. But first, what do you what do you mean by the softness of the sail from thirty years ago? Well, when a sailmaker builds a custom sail. They will go to the sailcloth manufacturer and they will request the, they already know what the yarn sizes are. So they already know what the fabric is capable of, but they will request the amount of bias stretch. And that's often an indicator of how much epoxy was put into it. it, it is there a, because originally we started this conversation talking about the size of the fill or the warp threads. Does the bias stretch is the bias stretch impacted by the size of the thread? It it, it is it is considerably. And then it's um, mitigated by how much epoxy or whatever they inject into it. Correct. Correct. Okay. Now what? And all the, the, first, can you actually can we define what? bias stretches well bias is non on the 45 of the yarn direction so you've got two 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 threads woven together they're at perpendicular angles and then the bias is at the 45 degree angle that would intersect basically the between the 45 degree angle between each of those threads correct okay now the the majority of and and again i'm sorry for the salmonex here but all sailcloth testing is in a two-inch wide strip, 10 inches long. And what they'll put that on what's called an in-strong machine, and they can pull on it. So they can cut up sailcloth in different directions, 30, 45, whatever, and find out how, it, how it's stretching with certain amounts of epoxy wove, uh, impregnated, calendared into it. So there's, there's almost two different factors. It's what direction the, the load is being pulled on in terms of the thread and then adding, so you could probably perform an innumerable number of tests based on this 
two by ten yes. strip of fabric, and then you could repeat that same test with an innumerable n amount of combinations of either kind, quality, or quantity of epoxy that's in yes. impregnated with it. Okay. Yes. So, in days of old, or 30, 40 years ago, you would get this, what what is called Carillon fabric, and it would stretch 30 one-hundredths of an inch on this two-inch wide strip of fabric on the 45. So, about a third of an inch, it would stretch with no sizing in it at all. Then that Carillon stopped being produced because nobody was buying West Sales brand new again, or at that time. So now it went to the performance racer. Uh, so they started putting in a little bit of sizing. I'm sorry, that, what, what's Carillon? Carillon is the very soft sailcloth that... So it's, a, it's not polyester, it's, it's a different kind uh, of cloth. It, it, it is, it is. It's just, a, it's just a type of fabric that of polyester sailcloth. It was just a model number or a model of polyester fabric that Bainbridge produced for, okay. world, for world cruisers. I see. And it was particularly soft, so when people right. get new sails for their west sail, they're like, why isn't this a, why is this so crispy? Right. Yeah, and, and the production sails that came out of of the West Sail factory were made out of that Carillon fabric and it was the most expensive fabric available mm -hmm. uh, at that time. But if you put the minimum amount of epoxy into that Carillon fabric, that bias goes from thirty one hundredths of an inch down to uh, 15 one-hundredths of an inch. Oh, so it cuts so in half. With a minimum amount, yeah. But what is being produced today, it's stretching at eight. Wow. So, so even so though it's, so, so new, even if, say, it's a first single owner, they want to go buy some new sails, they bought the West Sail from the factory, it came with this Carillon fabric, it was really soft, um, but it was, it stretched it, 31 hundredth of an inch over this 10 inch piece of fabric and now they buy a new sail and it's crispy but it is you know less than one third of the amount of stretch yes in uh, through through the bias in the in the yarn directions it's still the same as what it was before uh, okay so it's just it's just through the bias okay so um so why is what is how is that important for a new? Uh, obviously, that's important for somebody that is coming to the table with an expectation of a sort of soft sailcloth. Um, how is that that's, important for somebody like me, who you know I'm 32 years old. I was I, I was born born after West Sail went out of business. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, how is that important for me in terms of deciding on a new sale material? Um, yeah, in, in your situation, I don't think there were any considerations other than, or my, if you remember correctly, I encourage you to step up to that next fabric, save yourself 200 bucks. Yep. Uh, 
and and go to go to the lower bias stretch. Uh, that's probably the only consideration that the modern buyer has, other than the disappointment of being able to take that soft fabric and just stuff it inside the sail cover. Now you actually have to flake it because it's a little bit brutal. Uh, they are they abrade a little easier because they're kind of held into position. So when something goes across it, it's going to abrade. You know, it's kind of like having a nice soft pair of blue jeans and you drop some epoxy on it. Uh, the next time you put them on, you can actually break that. I've never drop done that before. Epoxy. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I know that it's a shame. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, no, I'm, I'm joking. I've ruined, I've ruined like every pair of pants I own. <laughs> yeah, my, my wife always looks at me and goes, more drops of epoxy? More? Yeah. My, <laughs> more wife go, yeah, my wife goes, can't you use, like, why do you have to use every pair of pants? Can't you just have, like, a <laughs> pair of work pants? Yeah. Well, I don't want to look bad to the project. That's right. i got to wear my best clothes. <laughs> wear my suit. All right. So that, that makes sense. So um, so the epoxy gives it sort of a, a rigidness that gives it a... Um, maybe a memory, but also gives it a uh, susceptibility to uh, abrasion. Yes. And, we, you know, when when you hear people saying, uh, especially around the yacht clubs, you might hear the word, uh, or my, my sails are blown out. That doesn't mean that they're in four pieces. It means that <laughs> that, that, that melamine has broken down and the sail has changed shape from its original design shape. Okay, so and, when and they're not talking about like they got hit with a fifty knot gust and there's actually a hole in it. Cor- correct. Yeah, like it's, it, like it's it just... used to. Like when I read Sterling Hayden and he says, uh, "My jib got blown out fifteen times on the sail from Tahiti to San Francisco." He actually means like he had to stitch it back together because there were holes in it. But now they mean it's just stretched out. Correct. Yeah. So, so the world cruisers term "blown out" versus the yacht club racers term "blown out." People might hear two different, the same statement, but it means two different things. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and epoxy the the epoxy in the sail affects uh, its susceptibility to. Um, it probably helps resist the amount of blowout. I would imagine. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Right. But over time, of course, every every polyester, uh, except for mylar, which apparently shrinks, um, uh, dacron actually dacron stretches. So when they say my sail is blown out, is like my original mainsail, which is why I bought a new mainsail from you. It had a huge belly and it didn't have very good aerodynamic performance. That's what they mean by blown out. Yes. Okay. And I I think. Um, um, let's have the discussion of the aerodynamic part of sales and slot effect, um, at a later time. Yep. I agree. Um, it's, it's getting late here. Yeah, and, that's a whole, and my, and my brain's full. <laughs> and so, um, uh, some when when you're at your next port and you're ready to do that next one, uh, give me a call and and we'll cool. Tie yeah, maybe I'll, I'll try to call you from Morocco. How about that? Yes, perfect. Great. All right.
I am uh, I'm looking forward to uh, checking out the skeleton. No, not the skeleton coast. The uh, An- Anchor Point. That's the, oh, nice. Uh, that's nice. the that's the surf spot there, supposedly. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Um, cool. Any any other sort of final comments on sail cloth? Either no, uh, um, particular materials or considerations. I, I guess um, can, can we? Well, I guess first, yes. Can can we? Is there anything you want to say uh, to sort of round out the conversation, and then maybe we can lead into a summary? Um. Well, I um. No, I I, I don't think I have anything else to add to uh, to that. Um. I think it's uh uh. Sales seem to, or, or the fabrics haven't changed that much. In the last twenty years or so, yeah, in the last twenty yeah. twenty years, and and they, the fabrics are so reliable now that that, um, I mean, because nothing's they're tried and true, and and uh, and there's so many of them that are really respectable fabrics. All right, so I'll I'll take a stab at the summary if that's okay, and then yeah, you can chime in to correct me where I'm where I misunderstood. All right. So, um, yeah. o- overall, you've got the 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 weave of the fabric, the warp and the fill, and uh, the the warp and the fill are important in each of their own set of circumstances based on where the load is coming from, uh, which is different based on uh, what type of sail it is. So, the main versus the jib, the the main typically has most of the load on the leech. And the jib could have a lot of the load uh, from based along the clue, uh, and so the the difference is there is is that the load is going to be primarily along the fill for the main because it's along the leech, and the warp along the, uh, for the jib because it's hor- sort of horizontally. Um, is, is well, yeah, it, it's along the warp as long as it's a tri-radial. As long as it's a tri-radial, right, okay. Right. And you recommend the tri-radial on the, uh, on the jib because of the direction of the, the load pattern for the jib? Yes. <clears throat> but that it's um, cost-benefit analysis for the main is that maybe it's not quite as economical uh, for uh, to have it on the main because most of the load is along the leech and it, it, it doesn't have as much of a, a return on investment. Correct. Okay. Correct. And then in terms of uh, actual material, so that's that's sort of the, the load direction. Um, the different materials consist primarily of polyester versus everything else. <laughs> um, right. Everything else being mylar, carbon, Kevlar, uh, and all of those kinds of things, and all all of those other materials are really high performance uh, kinds of uh, racing sails that um, a lot of people could be really interested in. And you know, I, I think that's maybe a different audience from you know, anyone I've really ever met. I mean, even even the racing sailors I know mostly use polyester, but there are a handful that have um, carbon, and and you know, maybe it's worth diving into a little bit more. Um, detail about some of those materials at a, at, an, at another date, um, but I think most people that are sort of cruising sailors interested in um, going to various foreign ports are primarily interested in polyester because of 
uh, it's resistance to UV, it's uh, low stretch and generally low cost compared to some of the higher performance sales, and it's primarily longevity. So that, that seems like it's really a big selling point is that it's going to last 10, 15 years versus three to five years for a carbon, mylar, Kevlar kind of sale. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Cool. And wow, you're, 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 you're a good listener to my frenetic uh, <laughs> approach. Uh, well, uh, you know, we've had this conversation, I think, at, at least I think this is the second time now, and, and I listen to a lot right. of podcasts, so um, that yep. helps too. Um, and, you know, I do, I do think you're a good teacher too. I think you you explain things really well, so I appreciate that. Um, any, any other, uh, so that's the warp and bias direction, and we've talked about the, uh, the different kinds of materials and their applications. Um, any sort of closing thoughts and then, uh, and then we can touch base at a later date on sort of actual construction of a sale. Yeah, I, I think, um, the most closing thought, if, if you're at all a social human being, you should never bring up any of these topics at a, at a party. Well, I'm, I live on my boat by myself and I take it from port <laughs> to port and people invite me onto their boats, and sometimes I take them up, and sometimes I sit alone, drinking <laughs> by myself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Well, sort of half kidding, but uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I I appreciate your time. Uh, it's been really good to talk to you, and uh, again, you know, you've, you've been a huge help in terms of understanding how these sales are made and, and uh, sort of application. I think this would be really interesting for, for people. Um, you know, I, I know it's been an enlightening process working with you and, and I'm, I'm glad we have the opportunity to sort of um, digest it and uh, disseminate it to the, to the broader community. I, <laughs> I think we had probably five or six com long conversations before I actually bought the sale from you. So I appreciate right. the, uh, the, um, the, the time you spent with me and, and hopefully this will reduce the amount of time that other people have to spend with you uh, when they order their sales from you. All right. Okay. I appreciate <laughs> it. Cool. All right. Well, I look forward to our next chat and uh, I'll talk to you All soon. Right. Good luck with the kitchen. Have, that, have, have a safe sale. All, All right. right. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. The West Sales Story Podcast is sponsored by Highs and Lows and hosted by Jake Jarose. Thanks for listening.